Thank you for tuning in. This is Alexi Boyd with Small Biz Matters and we are talking all things tech for this half hour, but it's kind of a different way of talking about tech. We talk a lot about techpreneurs, entrepreneurs, innovation. I mean, I remember when I was at uni, if said to anyone that they were an entrepreneur, it usually meant that they were unemployed. But things have changed. <laughs> things have moved on a bit. So not all tech founders are cut from the same cloth. We imagine an uber cool 20-something hipster in a designer ripped jeans in their inner west grungy garage spouting bourgeois ideals and claiming that their commercial idea is there to make a world a better place. But what those founders, what about those founders who fell into the role, coming up with one of those once in a lifetime nuggets that might, just might, make them some money. Oh, and make the world a better place too. Sharon Melamed, the founder of Matchboard, is one such creator. She's a self-proclaimed non-techie tech founder who wears her life experience and distinct lack of IT fluency with pride. Her approach to nurturing what she recognised as a brilliant idea and turning it into a hugely successful company is very different and drew more on her past than the tech future she now owns. Welcome to the program, Sharon. Thanks so much for having me on the show and that colourful introduction. (laughs) Well, I I think it was lovely meeting you and and coming across your story because like you said, we hear so much about people who um, kind of fall into the role or, or, um, you know, accidentally come up with $100 million of... (laughs) It just seems as like suddenly they've got all this money swimming around them from venture capitalists and, and yours is a very different story. Yours comes from that life experience and working hard at what it is that you do and then tapping into those skills. So so tell me a little bit about Matchboard and just how it came to fruition. Yes, well, um, I am definitely not, as you can hear, a 20-something cool dude. <laughs> uh, I was actually 45 when I started Matchboard and uh, surprisingly that turns out to be the age that um, startup founders are the most successful according to some research done by Harvard Business Review. So don't think it's ever too late. <laughs> um, I actually think there's a few reasons for that. One is, as you mentioned, the life experience that you have by the time you hit your 40s, mm. um, the network that you have built up of connections by then, um, and also uh, at the risk of sounding a bit ageist, um, you know, you're more emotionally stable. <laughs> this is true, actually. Um, I think, uh, you know, in your 20s, you're on a bit of a roller, co- roller coaster with relationships and dating and all those things that can be a distraction. Maybe 30s, you've started a family. A lot of people in their 40s have started to emotionally settle down, I would say. And uh, that turns out to be just the right time to start a business. So that's exactly what I did. Um, I'd actually spent 20 years in the big corporate world and thought it was now or never. And uh, I had this business idea for Matchboard, a business matchmaking website, and uh, I just took the plunge. So... um it's, it's been with no regrets. Uh, I've had a wonderful journey. And it sounds to me with an idea of bringing businesses together to, you know, somebody's got a problem, someone's got a solution and you bring them together in that way. It sounds to me that what was very fundamentally important was your network. So at the time, did you draw more on people who were inspiring you or mentoring you or helping you with your idea? At the beginning, what, what was really the, the main, I guess, group of people who supported you? Well, I have lived and worked in five countries, so I sort of have a very dispersed network. Um, And I think that's been actually an advantage that I've had exposure to so many ways of doing things, so many business cultures and um, approaches that I try to take the best of the best of all that and and bring it into my my new business concept. But I think um, I, I did get inspired by all those people around the world that I met along my corporate journey. Um, 
I uh, have to pay credit to my husband, who is not officially a co-founder, but couldn't have done it without him. I think um, to have um, the support of your family is actually critical when you're starting a new business. If you don't have your partner or your family or your best friends behind you, mm. uh, egging you on, saying you can do it and, and really helping you through the ups and downs, it it is quite difficult. So I'm lucky that um, I had that and um, everyone believed in in me and and I guess um I believed in me <laughs> which you, you've got to have that self-belief for yeah. success and it's what you were saying before you, you've got to have that emotional maturity and that ability to recognize that okay with all the experiences of I've, I've done this is what I'm good at this is what I'm not so good at and this is what I think is going to work as a concept so really I think what's what's unique about your position is um is that time you were in in your life how do you go from having an idea in, in practical sense and being non-techie, how do you go from having a technical, like a, a tech idea and then bringing it to fruition when you don't have the experience? Do you draw on the people around you or do you uh, start outsourcing madly? Yeah. Um, I, I guess, didn't overthink it too much. Probably... Um, naivety was uh, an advantage in this case because I actually thought it was going to be easier than it was. Um, And also you've got to have that fearlessness. Mm. Um, I think um, my experience living in all those countries, just packing my suitcase and moving to places where I had no connections and by necessity I had to just build networks from scratch, um, that actually was probably quite empowering for when I started my own business because I didn't have that sense of fear and um, trepidation that a lot of people have when they've never done something before. Um, I also have to say that I was very lucky to have spent 15 years of my 20-year corporate career with a very entrepreneurial company, um, actually a Japanese firm. And uh, they gave me complete freedom to do what I want and um, to make the decisions and to represent them in the media and and things that I didn't realise once I moved to some sort of more traditional big corporates were were really unusual um, responsibilities uh, to have when you didn't have that experience. But I guess that... that, um, time with the Japanese firm um, really gave me confidence that I could I could do anything. So that's the first thing. Um, I think um, before you sort of resign from your corporate job and jump into a business, you do sort of have to have a plan. So in the last few months of my role, <clears throat> my last corporate role, um, I was feverishly working in the evenings um, to sort of prepare and and, um, and ask around. I think one of the biggest mistakes people make when they start a business is um, they just assume people are going to love what they've got to offer mm. and they don't actually ask a range of people who could be potential customers um, what they think. Would they actually buy this service or product or would they use it? Um, so you can't make assumptions. Probably the best thing you can ever do is go out there and speak to lots of people. So that's what I did. Um, probably spoke to at least 20 people and actually got a universal thumbs up. So that really fired me up. <laughs> but was it because they were just being kind or did you have the trust in those people that they were going to give you honest answers and yeah. and that, that you knew that they were, you know, they'd, they'd actually tell you if they thought it was a crap idea? Yeah, I uh, consulted a range of people, not just good friends who were going to say nice things. <laughs> um, people that were 
actually going to be potential customers. So I think that's the key. Your family's input is obviously very important, but it is a little bit skewed and biased sometimes. So uh, yeah, go out there and just randomly ask some people what they think. And um, that should give you a quick pulse check on whether you're onto something. We're going to take a quick break here on Small Biz Matters. Uh, We're speaking to Sharon Melamed, who is the founder of Matchboard, a self-confessed non-techie tech founder. When we come back after the break, I'm going to ask Sharon a little bit more about that growth phase and how did she, with her stage of where she was at in her business, recognise the growth and then run with it. You're listening to Triple H 100.1 FM. We'll be back after this. So today I'm talking to Sharon Melamed and before the break we were discussing the importance of when you're a non-techie tech founder and you've got this great idea to draw on your own life experience and the importance of collaborating with people around you, not just potential business partner, uh, business associates, but also your family and friends and how important that is. Now, Sharon, you had a very unique way of approaching um, the the idea of having people that you would work with in terms of you've got someone overseas who you work with. Is that right? How does that all, how does that yes. function? Yes, that's right. I didn't go down the typical path of a startup and um, as a non-techie person, hire a techie co-founder. Um, at the end of the Day. I think, of course, of course, there's exceptions, but with most businesses, it's about the business idea and technology is just the enabler. So I thought to myself, do I really need um, a tech co-founder when the bulk of the work is up front with development? And then, yes, there's some support and maintenance and enhancements along the way, but I really didn't need a full-time technology person in the business to bring my vision to life. So I went down a different path. Um, I actually um, looked for a partner to develop the Matchboard matching platform. Um, And I'd resigned from my job day one, sitting in my living room. Task number one was find my software development partner. And I went on Google, as you do, typed in Website Development Australia, spent actually a couple of days combing through the search engine results. Obviously, Google serves up millions of them and trying to find a short list of 10 companies that seemed to be really good that I could reach out to. I did that. Seven never even responded to my inquiry, my sales inquiry. More for them. Yep. Two um, clearly didn't understand my brief. One gave me a quotation. They sounded good, but it was a six-figure quotation. I didn't have that budget. So as fate would have it, I was on a plane the next week um, to Israel for a holiday with my family. And I bumped into a 20-person software development company there. And um, it came up that I was looking for a solution, a partner, and they made me an absolutely unbeatable and very unusual offer. They said, we'll develop your platform at cost. I said, why would you do that? And they said, well, if you give us the right to use the source code for your matching platform for the Israeli domestic market, we're happy to do it for you at no margin. And I said, yes. (laughs) That was an unbeatable offer. So instead of 100K, my business um, started with 20K um, and... I definitely had budget for that. And you didn't have to partner yourself with someone that you were almost, um, you know, undetachable from for the next 10 years. That was it. You just needed someone to do the task, not necessarily be your sidekick. Yes, yes. There are plenty of messy co-founder breakup stories. So I thought 
okay, this company is really invested in making this platform work because they want to potentially use it for themselves mm. in the domestic Israeli market. So I thought, okay, we've got a mutual alignment to make this work. And they seemed really decent that they even came up with this special offer. <laughs> and very entrepreneurial. Israel is an incredibly entrepreneurial nation. Um, and so I went with it. And they're still my partner today. Eight years after starting the business, they have stuck by me, done enhancements every year, and I couldn't be happier. So I would say, don't just go out there and raise money or get a co-founder just because it's a done thing. There are plenty other options and really think about, do I really need investors? Do I really need a co-founder? And challenge yourself on that before uh, you jump in and dilute uh, your your business idea. That's right. And dilute your profits as well, because when you're co-founding with someone, you have to hand over some of the money. And I guess there is a pinch point at the beginning of that relationship where you've got to come up with the funds to pay them. Uh, and, and it may be more expensive to use someone locally, I suppose. But is it luck? I mean, is it does luck always play a part with these sort of success stories? Or is it about connections? I mean, for you, it sounds like you're being in the right place at the right time. But you were in that right place because of your experience and your knowledge and you knew what the conversations to have. Is it a bit of both? I, I do think it's a bit of both. <laughs> um, had I not found that Israeli company, I actually don't know how it would have panned out. Uh, I probably just would have spent a lot more money that I didn't have and, and put that on the line. And in the first year of business, you really don't know if it's going to fly. Mm. So it is a risk. But it comes back to that time in your life question where um, in in my 40s, I could finally be in that financial position where I could take a risk for a year. And that's something I couldn't have done in my 30s. So mm. it is it is about timing as well. Yeah. And, and there's a lot to learn from, from what you're explaining. If you've just joined us, we're speaking to Sharon Melamed, who's the founder of Matchboard. Um, we're speaking about that journey, the unusual journey of being, um, I guess, an older founder. But interesting what you were saying at the beginning of the program, that the majority of success stories in tech founders is, is those who are in who are older and that that must play a part in in that success, the life experience you bring with you. I want to talk to you about that growth phase. You've you've been lucky enough to find um, a great company to help you with uh, the the tech side, which is great. Now you've got a product you're confident in. How do you, I don't want to use the word scale because that's just overused, but how do you grow? How do you, um, where do you start with, with getting the word out there about what it is you've produced? Yeah, so I think there's a lot you can do with um, zero budget. <laughs> Certainly I've proved that. I mean, one is you can milk LinkedIn for all it's worth <laughs> uh, from an organic perspective. I was lucky um, when LinkedIn started, I was actually living in New York and I was one of the very, very early adopters, like the first 100,000 people that signed up. Wow. And it is a very iterative um, platform. So, you know, it's a domino effect. Once you get a certain level of connection, people just start sending you and um, you know I think I'm up to about 20,000 connections now and and I will uh, recall day one of my business um, I uh, just asked a small favor of my network um, would you mind sharing with your connections my new startup and guess what 50 of them did it and I got three clients day one so um, I would say don't be afraid to call in a favor not on a regular basis, but <laughs> uh, definitely um, from time to time because that's what your network's there for, to support you. So that's one way that um, I've been able to grow the business um, without spending. Um, 
they say there's um, no such thing as a free lunch, but I actually be, believe with LinkedIn there is. The other thing is um, PR. Um, you know, as a, a young startup with no budget, um, there are a lot of opportunities to give journalists stories. They don't want, um, you know, your um, eager pitch about what a great product you have or service you have. They want a story. And if you can come up with that story, it, it's literally a case of writing a few lines in an email to the right journalist, know who you're sending the email to, what type of journalist it is, what they cover. And, you know, we're matchboards in the news every month. Uh, we've been on the front page of the Sydney Morning Herald a couple of times without using a PR agent. So that's been great to just get awareness. Um, but I think um, there's there are a number of other ways. We, we've done a lot of content marketing, writing, blogs, thought leadership, sort of um, how-to guides, best tips for this and that. And um, and that's popped us right up to the top of page one of Google for more than 100 keywords. And that's without spending a cent on Google ads. But you would spend a lot of time writing those articles and, and you know, drawing on the experience of your staff or the people that you work with and the people that you collaborate with. Yes. Is it a constant, I guess, do you make sure that it's a constant feed of information and constant yeah, content? Yeah, you've got to constantly update old content and produce new content. But luckily with Matchboard, you know, we have buyers and suppliers of different business services. We're matching the market for things like digital marketing services, call centre services, training, consulting, etc. And um, we get contributions from our suppliers of those services in terms of the content. So at no cost, we, we get this um, constant stream of content coming through that we can push out to our network and our and our database. And that's a wonderful mutually beneficial relationship because they're giving you content you're giving them the platform and the audience um, with which to listen to that. And I like the way that's all organically built. Uh, yes, you've called in some favours, but you've kept on producing that content and churning it over and making sure it's fresh and alive and new and, and different. And I guess that's the innovation right there. You know, that's just the constantly changing and understanding what the landscape is. So I think that's that's important to remember as a small business. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You've really got to have a pulse on what people want to hear about, what are the latest new things and bring them to people's attention before others do. <laughs> so you've really got to be on the ball and on the watch for um, things that will really um, meet the needs of your audience. So what does the future look like for your business in the next 10 or 20 years? Where, where would you see, where, where do you see it heading? Is it continuing in the right same direction or do you think that the evolution will go a certain way? Yes. Well, I'm in my 50s now. So in 20 years, I probably won't be doing Matchboard, but you never know. <laughs> I, I mean, I do, um, without sounding arrogant, I do think it's a, a great idea, this business matchmaking platform. And so I, my hope is that it would be sustainable and continue under, um, you know, the direction of... Um, Another leader out there, someone someone out there who could take it forward, take it global. Um, I mean, had I been in my 20s, I probably would have, or 30s even, and, and got to this point, I would have moved to the UK or the US where the market is three, ten times the size, mm. and I would have made... Uh, Lots of money, I imagine. But um, Australia is where I'm rooted and, and I'll take it as far as I can in this market. Um, every year, uh, before COVID at least, <laughs> it's been growing double digit. So um, I want to keep up the momentum and I want to make more people aware that there's this free alternative to going on Google and finding your perfect match supplier <laughs> 
that um, they've all been vetted. Mm. I mean, that's one of our key things that, um, you know, if you go on Google on a search engine, you don't know who's good, who's dodgy. And we vet and screen every single supplier we recommend. So uh, my biggest challenge is just creating awareness that this exists. Mm. And once people use it, they love it. So uh, I just want to build on that. Probably the future over the next few years will be built a lot around partnerships. You know, there's a lot of small businesses can... um, leverage big businesses in many ways because um, it's a symbiotic uh, relationship at the end. They have all the customers and the database and you have something to offer them. So um, those are the sorts of things I'll be looking to expand in the coming years. That sounds absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much for joining us here on Small Biz Matters and sharing us with your your journey, which is not, you know, your typical tech founder uh situation and the way that you've evolved and grown and tapped into those those past experiences and, and your life skills as well. Um, where can people find out more about Matchboard, Sharon? Sure, they can head to matchboard.com.au uh, and please look me up on LinkedIn if you're listening uh, under Sharon Melamed. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for listening to Small Biz Matters here on Triple H 100.1 FM and of course later podcasted. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please listen to some more. There's over 150 on Small Biz Matters .com.au and iTunes and Spotify and wherever you ingest your educational information as a small business. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week on Triple H with some more fantastic guests.